A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIPC. Well, good afternoon on a beautiful Saturday afternoon here on 93 WIBC. Central Indiana is positively glowing outside. Low 70s, sunny, low humidity. It's gorgeous for a uh, a late October day. This is pretty fabulous. Hope you're enjoying it. Uh, you're probably not enjoying it all that much if you devoted three hours of, uh, to watching that IU football game. Uh, look, our our staff here at uh, WIBC does a fabulous job of covering those games, but man, the Hoosiers need to figure some stuff out. That was ugly. Up 14-7 at halftime, ran six plays in the whole third quarter. It just got waxed in the second half uh, and to where uh, it really uh, wasn't competitive. And this is against a Rutgers team that uh, – is not a world beater uh, in anyone's imagination, so that's tough. Uh, but but hey, the coverage was great. The Hoosiers just need to get some things figured out and get it turned around. But in the meantime, we've got a lot to talk about, as we always do here on the Gun Guy Show. I want to talk initially uh, about a really horrifying incident, a uh, series of incidents, really, that's going on right here on the east side of Indianapolis. And look, we broadcast the show from downtown Indy. I come down here. I'm down here all the time. I'll be down here again Monday for Monday Gunday on the Hammer and Nigel show. I fill in for other hosts. I filled in three times here recently for Tony Katz, for instance, on the midday show. So I'm downtown all the time. And uh, and, and and there's a reason why I feel the need and have for some time when I'm in Indianapolis to be able to defend myself. Because the, the, there are certainly parts of the city that are starting – to take on the appearance of simply being lawless. By lawless, I mean people are doing some pretty horrendous things and 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 don't appear to fear getting caught, getting arrested, getting prosecuted, and being in prison. And about the most horrific example of that I've seen in a while is what's going on to the family of a gentleman named Lance Huffman. Now, the Huffman family lives in Irvington, here near east side of Indianapolis. And they had an incident where someone fired shots, fired bullets into their home a couple of months ago. And they assumed it was a, 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 a random incident. They assumed there were stray bullets. They assumed they weren't being targeted by this. They were just unfortunate in having bullets come into their home. But there are bullets going through windows, lodging in walls. And he has young daughters here that live in the home. And then suddenly it happens again. And then it happens again. This this home, and this is a family, by all appearances, that's just trying to live in peace, live safely, that invested in their home, like their home, had, had every intention of staying in their home. And they've now been the victim five different times of somebody driving by and firing multiple shots, multiple rounds, multiple bullets into their home. They've put surveillance cameras up. They've turned that footage over to IMPD and said, look, here's a vehicle that drives by, shoots into our home, then takes off toward East 16th Street. They found bullets lodged in a bag of child's toys. They've had bullets lodged in the walls of the children's bedrooms. A very high volume of bullets are flying into these homes, into this home, I should say. And and how horrific is this? How, How do you live your life when you don't know at any given moment whether some lunatic's gonna drive by and spray your house with bullets? And look, there's only so much you can do. I mean, it's five times in two months. So you're going to spend every night sleeping on the roof? You know, with your own firearm waiting for this lunatic or lunatics to drive by again? How do you live your life? But my question is, 
there's got to be forensic evidence, right? They, they, they have to have recovered projectiles. They've got video of a car or cars. And I'm not criticizing law enforcement. I know this is tough. And you can't dedicate, for instance, a patrol unit to sit in front of one house all the time for two or three months. I understand that, too. But how frustrating is it? And what does it say about the city of Indianapolis that this could happen five times and these idiots not get caught? And I think it's appropriate for the citizens of Indianapolis and for this family and their neighbors. It can't be fun for their neighbors either. Who now at least five times have heard multiple gunshots going off right there near their homes as well. But in the meantime, man, my my empathy for the for the Huffman family, but also, come on, man, for Indianapolis authorities, let's get this figured out. Let's devote the resources necessary to prevent this family from being terrorized night after night after night, five times in two months. That's not okay. Nobody wants to live in a city where a lunatic can get away with that. And why doesn't someone fear being arrested, prosecuted, and and imprisoned for that kind of conduct? Why is someone so emboldened to do that here in the city of Indianapolis? goes back to a lot of issues that I've talked about here on this show. I've talked about on the Hammer and Nigel show and on Tony Katz's show as well. we got an issue with safety, with public safety, and with trust in the system. Trust in a system that will find these people, arrest these people, put these people in jail for a damn long time. Five times in two months, same house. And this is just a family trying to get by. So I, I, I throw that out there to suggest that, by the way, when people say they want to have the capacity to defend their own homes and defend their own families, and we get called paranoid, oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. Because if authorities don't, excuse me, if bad guys don't fear the authorities, they ought to fear the common citizen who has the capacity to defend their own home and defend their own family. And that's a lot of what we're all about here on the Gun Guy Show. In the meantime, it's quarter after. We're taking a break. Give us a call. Join the discussion. We're going to do the rest of the show. We're going to get into some myth busting. What do I mean by that? I, I got to tell you, doing what I do for a living as a Second Amendment attorney, it's my primary job. I'm also a firearms instructor, as you know, but doing what I do for a living in the law office, you know, a lot of people call me, they've got an issue going on, they've got questions, and a lot of times they're they're seeing the world in terms of the world of gun ownership and Indiana gun laws and whatnot, they're, they're seeing it very much through a flawed lens. And by that I mean people have a, a pretty woeful misunderstanding of the way gun laws work, the way the, 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 the federal law and in Indiana law interact. And we're going to get into a little myth-busting in terms of things I hear over and over and over again, or I see published on social media, I see published on the Internet, that are just flat wrong. And we're going to get into that. And if you've got questions or comments or things you've heard that you want to put right, give us a call. Join the discussion. We're going to take calls the whole rest of the show, 317-239-9393. What are some of those common things you've heard that you know aren't right? and you want to get the straight shot, you want to get the straight information, hey, this is the right place to do it. Give us a call, 317-239-9393. Right now we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And I'll tell you what, I invited calls, and we've already got some. Let's go right to the phone lines. And uh, Pete, Pete, welcome to The Gun Guy Show. What do you got for us, buddy? Hi, uh, I need some advice. Sure. Uh, my wife and I decided to uh, buy a pistol for home defense several months ago. I found one at a, a local store that was on sale, $50 off. So I went to look at it, done a background check on the computer, and they delayed me. Mm-hmm. So uh, after 30 days, I uh, done it again, and they delayed it again. And this particular store won't sell me this gun until I'm approved by the FBI. Right. I asked if uh, they could sell it to my wife, 
And their answer was, no, absolutely not. I could go to jail for doing that. And I thought, well, you know, the FBI hasn't said that I've been denied. They just simply haven't looked at my paperwork to uh, give me an okay. Yeah, and, and Pete, let me tell you what's going on there on a, a couple different levels. And, and that is, when you go in to buy a gun, the uh, you know you fill out the 4473 form, uh, which is an ATF form, and that's got all your identifying information on it. Uh, the gun store then sends that information, your identifying information, on to NICS, the National Institute of Criminal Background Check uh, System run by the FBI out of Wheeling, West Virginia. And somebody takes a look at your criminal history, and, 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 and not just criminal history, they look at other things, they look at the NICS database that has uh, things in it that may be related to mental health issues and things like that. And then the FBI can do one of three things. It can say proceed, which means sell you the gun to the gun store. Um, they can say denied, which means they found something where they've concluded that you're a prohibited possessor and may not buy a gun, or they can delay it, which often means they found something on your record that they just want to take another look at. And and now, by the way, with the new law that went into effect, the so-called Safer Communities Act or whatever it was called, that a whole bunch of Republicans uh, voted for, uh, including an Indiana senator, unfortunately, um, they, they, they now have extended that period um, where they can take a look at whatever it is they want to take a look at before the gun store legally can transfer the gun. But... Often, as well, when you get a delay, it, it can literally be just because of the volume of requests for background checks that the FBI is getting at that particular time. They're at NICS. Uh, it literally can be volume. You know, go buy a gun on Black Friday sometime when a whole bunch of people are buying guns, and it's very likely that you'll get delayed, not because there's something on your criminal history, but just because of the volume involved. The gun store can, after the statutory period, transfer the gun to you, but most of them, just like the store you're talking to. And, and for instance, some of the big box stores, I, people have talked to me about um, Cabela's, for instance, that they will absolutely positively not transfer a gun until, as you said, um, they get the proceed. And if it's still delayed, even though they can, after some period of time, legally transfer that gun, they won't just as a matter of policy. And, that, and that's their prerogative. The question about will they sell it to your wife um, th there is an argument at that point that's a straw purchase. Now, you're right. You haven't been denied. You were just delayed. So it's not like they're on notice that you absolutely are a prohibited possessor, but at least there's something there where the FBI did not approve it. And they're worried about a, a quote-unquote straw purchase, and, and most gun stores are going to operate exactly that way. They're worried about keeping their licenses. And so they don't want to transfer a gun, sell a gun to someone who's right there with them in the gun store after one person gets either denied or delayed because they're worried about a, a being accused of being complicit in, in making a straw purchase. And, and, and they're going to be extremely concerned about that. Um, is that necessarily a straw purchase when you've only been delayed and not denied? Hey, I could argue either side of that, but I certainly understand their concern. And frankly, if I was advising a gun store, I'd tell them to do exactly the same thing. So the question then becomes, and I get this call at my office all the time, I probably, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight times a week, you know, the phone rings. If I'm there, if I'm not tied up, I answer the phone. And somebody says, you know, I got delayed or I got denied and I don't understand why. And I start going through the checklist of what is on your record that could lead to you being denied or delayed. And a lot of times, for instance, and I'm going to get a lot more into this here later in the show. For instance, let's say you have a misdemeanor battery on your record. Now, there's nothing about a, just a misdemeanor battery in and of itself that should get you delayed or denied, right? I mean, I, I may have been arrested my own self in my younger days when I was working in bars and my, I had a job as a bouncer and sometimes things got violent and, and I may have gone to jail for a battery or two myself. Okay, well, a misdemeanor battery, because you get into it with some guy in a bar who needs to leave and, and, and has a difference of opinion on that point, right? Um, as a misdemeanor, that doesn't keep you from buying a gun. It doesn't make you a prohibited possessor. However, the same charge as a simple battery, 
if the victim is, say, an intimate partner, that means someone you're married to or ever been married to, or uh, you've had a child with or you've lived with, or a parent or a child of an intimate partner, even though that charge is just battery, that makes that crime a crime of domestic violence. And I'm going to get more into this later in the show because this uh, I'm talking about doing some myth busting. Well, there, there's a big one in this area. In fact, twice in the last 24 hours, I've had to answer this question for people who were very, very upset at the answer I gave them, which is that even if you're guilty of a battery, not domestic battery, depending on who the victim of that battery was, you could be, even with a misdemeanor, a prohibited possessor. So that's that's something right there. Let's just say you've got a you've got a battery on your record anymore. FBI will always take a look at that to see who the victim of that battery was to try to determine, for instance, whether that was a crime of domestic violence. So if this keeps happening to you and and again, without a discussion with you, you know, one on one where we go through, okay, what what exactly do you have on your record? And it's not just criminal history. It it could be, uh, like I say, a mental health issue or a drug use issue. And I'm not suggesting, Pete, that you have any of those issues whatsoever. Please don't take it that way. That's just the checklist we've got to go through when we're trying to answer this question of why you might be being delayed or denied. But eventually, we can take a look at what that is, some things we can fix. There are ways to to fix uh, if you have a conviction on your record um, that is making you a prohibited possessor or even causing the FBI to be concerned enough to delay you. You can also apply for what's called a U-PIN through what's called a VAF application. I'm going to get more into that here after this next break and and tell people exactly how that system works. But, But we'll first determine whether there's something legitimate that's causing you to get delayed or denied. Then we'll talk about how to fix it. And then we'll talk about not only fixing it so that you're not a prohibited possessor, but making sure you don't get that delay again in the future, which is to get what's called a unique personal identification number. I'm going to go into all of that here on the show as well. So that's a great lead in to a lot of the things we're going to talk about, Pete. Um, but that's an answer to your question. I don't know if I fully answered it, but keep listening to the show because we're going to get into a lot of other details that may uh, may help you uh, reach a resolution on what exactly is going on with you when you're trying to buy a gun. In the meantime, we're here at the bottom of the hour, so we're taking a break. We've got other people on hold. We've got John. We've got Ted. Join the discussion. you got questions. you have comments. Give us a call, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We're glad you're with us. We're going to go back to the phone lines here in just a minute. But one thing occurred to me during that break in answering Pete's question, and that is, Um, that the ATF, excuse me, the FBI, the FBI has changed its process for dealing with the situation where someone is delayed or denied in their next check when they're buying a gun. Exactly the situation Pete's describing. What my buddies who are uh, gun shop owners are telling me is that now when someone is delayed or denied, that the gun store is being required by FBI to uh, fill out a a, a series of fields there and interacting with NICS, the FBI, where they're giving the person's uh, street address, contact information to the FBI. The FBI wants to know where to find you if you get delayed or denied in a gun purchase now. And, and I've, I've heard from one gun store owner, I've not seen the, the actual uh, forms uh, on the computer uh, or, or the, uh, you know, what it screens they're talking about, what they're saying. And I've had some tell me it's only for denials and other for delays and denials. But it, it, it's very concerning because the FBI gets it wrong a lot. You know, I handle, I, I probably did five or six just last week for people who come in, want some assistance, and they're appealing the denial of a gun purchase. Nix gets it gets it wrong a lot. You know, someone has had a conviction, say a felony conviction, a low-level felony, like mm, your second OWI within five years. The second one's a felony. Okay, low-level felony, you can get that expunged off your record. If you get that expunged, an Indiana expungement restores your gun rights. Well, the FBI may see that you had the felony conviction, but not see, not you know, simply not scroll up far enough or scroll down far enough 
to see that you've had that conviction expunged. We've also had Nick's examiners, the people actually doing the background check at the FBI, be confused about whether or not an Indiana expungement does or does not restore gun rights. We've had people get denied by FBI because the FBI goes, well, yeah, we see that you had that expungement, an Indiana expungement doesn't really restore your rights. Well, yes, it does. Yes, it does. I have a letter on my computer in my office from DOJ, from the FBI itself, saying an Indiana expungement restores your rights. I have an opinion letter from the Indiana Attorney General, Curtis L., who says, yes, it restores your rights. And I do a lot of expungements for a lot of clients, specifically to to restore their gun rights. Now, expungements of all convictions don't restore your gun rights, including a conviction for what's called a crime of domestic violence. We'll talk more about that later in the show. But Nix just gets it wrong a lot. Someone may have been convicted of a felony, but then after successfully competing probation, they get their conviction reduced to a misdemeanor under what's called alternative misdemeanor sentencing. The FBI examiner sees the felony conviction, but they don't see later on it was reduced. That person's not a prohibited possessor, but they get denied. Nix just gets it wrong. So even if they got it wrong and they denied you improperly, the FBI wants to know your address. And by the way, people who have been denied are getting letters from ATF saying, we see that you tried to buy a gun, but you're really a prohibited possessor. Please understand you violated the law by trying to buy a gun when you're a prohibited possessor. And how would you feel if you're someone, for instance, that got an expungement, you know your gun rights have been restored, but you get improperly denied, and then on top of that, the FBI wants to come knock on your door. This is not a hypothetical. This is happening. I've had at least a dozen examples of people bring those letters from the ATF The local ATF office right here in Indianapolis saying, man, these people are threatening to come arrest me. They're saying I can't possess a firearm. They're saying if I possess any other firearms besides the one I tried to buy and got denied, I can go to jail for that. And I know for a fact my rights are restored. And I have to say, yes, the FBI and the ATF, the federal government, just got it wrong. You're right. They're wrong. But they're the ones with the guns and the badges who come knock on your door. That's what's scary about it. And I got to tell you, as a lawyer, I've gotten a little more aggressive with these people. Where I've, I, well, I, I've had clients hire me to do this, where I'll call the ATF and I'll go, hey, look, you sent my client this letter saying he broke the law by trying to buy a gun, that he lied when he said he didn't have a felony conviction, when he does, and you're wrong, he's right. You're threatening him, and you got it wrong. And here's the paperwork to prove it. And what do you get? You get a, oh, okay, well, he can disregard our letter. Great. How much trauma did you just put this person through when they're right and you're wrong? Now, look, if somebody's an honest-to-God felon, they are a prohibited possessor. They go in and lie on the 4473 and say, no, they're not a prohibited possessor, not a felon. They just flat lie. Should that person get prosecuted? Sure, I don't have a problem with that. They're a prohibited possessor. They lied. But for someone who's a law-abiding citizen, who's not a prohibited possessor, to get wrongfully denied and then get threatened with arrest through a letter from the ATF, that's scary stuff, and it's not okay. And it's all happening under this administration. And I've said before, the FBI under the Biden administration and the ATF under the Biden administration are unrecognizable. And I'm talking about specifically in the area of gun rights from what those two agencies were under the immediate previous administration. And that's a top-down situation. They're being told they want to tag people off base. They're being told they want to find an excuse to put gun stores out of business. They're being told they want to find an excuse to deny people their gun purchases. This is fundamentally different, and it's from the top down, and it's coming directly from the Biden administration. And I see it. I see it as part of my law practice every single day. And it's not okay. And if you don't think that's a reason in 2024 to get off the couch and go vote, if you care at all about your gun rights, and I assume you do or you wouldn't be listening to the Gun Guy show, that's a hell of a reason right there because I'm seeing it. Gun stores are seeing it. Gun owners including people trying to lawfully buy guns. They're seeing it. It's getting worse, and it's getting worse every day. 
In the meantime, we're going to go back to the phone lines after I conclude that rant. And we do uh, this break that we're coming up on right now. Uh, John and Ted have been patient. So I'm going to go to the phone lines when we come back from this break. In the meantime, this is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. And I'll tell you what, we had John on hold for quite a while. And uh, John dropped off. Um, and uh, I'm sorry for that because he had a, what it really was, I think, was a good question. The, I opened the show talking about this terrible situation where a family has had their home shot into in Irvington. Again, this is a family, two young daughters in the home, um, and, and they're completely baffled as to why this is happening to them and has happened five times with multiple rounds each time being fired into their home. John had called. And as I say, he dropped off, but both producer Carl and I thought he had a great question, which is he said, um, with someone shooting into your home, can you shoot back? Well, here's how that law works exactly. And that is that, yeah, you can defend your home. This is the castle doctrine. You can use reasonable force, including deadly force, to prevent or terminate an unlawful entry in or attack upon your home. Is shooting bullets into your home an attack on your home? Absolutely. But here's the balance you have to keep, which is, yes, I can shoot back, but I cannot endanger other people in the neighborhood. For instance, if I'm shooting back at a car driving past my house, am I endangering the people in the home across the street? If my rounds go into my neighbor's home, because I'm shooting at a moving car, for instance. You know, is that something I can do safely without endangering other people in the neighborhood? If I endanger other people in the neighborhood, then I can go to jail for criminal recklessness. And criminal recklessness with a deadly weapon is a felony. So, yeah, I can defend my home against an unlawful attack, including with deadly force. Which means if I kill the guy shooting into my house, that's fully justified. But if I miss, or if I've endangered other people in the area, people on the street or people across the street, then I've committed a crime as well. So does that mean that's a good idea or the bad, a bad idea? Well, it means you have to be comfortable enough in the shot you have, either because there's nothing across the street, there's nobody else in the area. You know, it's a vacant lot across the street. I can take this shot safely. If I can take it safely, then you can take it legally to prevent an, un- an unlawful attack upon your home. That's exactly how Indiana law works. Let's go back to the phone lines, and Ted has called. Ted, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Hey, Guy. How are you today? Good, brother. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for everything you do. Sure. Um, I heard your uh, conversation about the NICS system and yeah. the changes in the FBI on Monday on Hammer and Nigel's show. And I've been thinking about it all week because there was a few points. Um, I've recently went through this, so I can share my experience with it. Good. Um, you're you're right. It's out of control. And I, I, I knew about it prior to going in and making a purchase recently. And I, I am normally not um, delayed. So I was a delay, and the shop I was purchasing from still calls them. They don't use the electronic system. So I was delayed. The, I heard the, uh, the owner of the gun shop talking to the uh, FBI agent, and they made him read line 10, basically, off of the uh, 4473. Which, which is uh, your includes, address, right? It is. It's your address. Uh, information they normally wouldn't be entitled to. Now, yeah. here's the kicker. And here's you were just delayed. You weren't denied. Correct. See, delayed. that's important information, Ted, because I've heard it both ways, so I'm really glad you called. Yes. So here's the kicker, though. Uh, this is simply a, a data collecting measure. What what happened was three minutes after they hung up on the phone, they called back and gave me proceed. Yeah, but now they three have minutes. your address as a as a law abiding gun owner in America. Why do you suppose they want that? Exactly. Um, second point I'd like to make, and correct me if I'm wrong, but these changes were implemented as part of the latest gun control legislation that was passed with help of our Indiana senator. Well, I yeah, Todd, yeah. Todd Young voted for this thing, and 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 Ted. By the way, thanks so much for calling, brother. But yeah, T- Todd Young, and and look, I I gave him 
a lot of credit at the time because I, I sent his office an email saying I wanted him to, to vote against this thing because this closed the so-called boyfriend loophole, which there's never been such a loophole. But um, I, you know, and I talked to him about that. I talked to him about how I didn't like the changes uh, regarding the increased time that uh, FBI has now to, to finish a background check. Um, and he still he, he called me. By the way, I sent I sent an email. That's, that was the point I started to make. I sent an email to his office saying, I really want you to vote against this. And he voted to let it go to a vote on the floor of the Senate. And then I said, look, I, I'm disappointed you let it advance. I at least now hope you vote against it on the floor. And the senator called me. And I, you know, I, I was impressed by that. I, it meant a lot to me that he uh, would pick up the phone and, you know, he's called me on my cell phone. And I explained to him why I didn't like the bill, and he listened to me. We probably had a 20-minute conversation. So he devoted a substantial amount of his time, which I value, um, but he still went ahead and voted for it. And yeah, but what this is, is I don't know that this process itself is part of that act. What was in the bill was that it increased the time that a gun store needs to get um, uh, a delay or a proceed before they can legally... Um, uh, get, deliver the gun to you. Now, it doesn't mean they have to. It just means they can. But the other thing it did is it said now if they're, they're also going to look at more juvenile records that um, they're going to look into mental health and, and juvenile records because if someone has um, a, a, an act that, that would have been a violent felony even as a juvenile, they can now deny them a purchase. So for people 18 to 20, they were supposed to do increased background checks on them, not the rest of us. And I think what ATF and FBI have done is they've sort of shoehorned this additional process into the changes that the bill actually allowed them uh, to do under the, the terms of the bill. Um, and I don't think that, that what we're talking about here, with if you're just delayed, like happened to Ted, that... Uh, that you still have to, uh, the gun store has to deliver all your personal identifying information. Well, again, with the idea they're going to come knock on your door. Not okay. In the meantime, we're coming up on the top of the hour, so it's time to take a break. We're going to go back to the phone lines, and we'll continue when we come back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back for hour number two of The Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're glad you're with us on this beautiful October evening here in indiana i hope you're enjoying the show and i gotta tell you we're gonna do a little myth busting uh but before we get into that in earnest i'll tell you what we've had a couple folks on hold for quite a while and by the way join the discussion we're answering your questions about indiana gun law i'm gonna get into some myths about how indiana law works around firearms uh and around self-defense uh, as we go through this show. But join the discussion. We, we've had great callers so far, really, with some interesting questions. So give us a call, 317-239-9393. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners. But let's go to the phone lines. And Bob's been on hold for a while. Bob, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, my daughter asked me a question and uh, pertaining to firearms. She's got several weapons, and she's a Purdue student and interested in protecting herself legally and lawfully. She was concerned about uh, possibly purchasing liability insurance or policies for people who carry firearms and getting further education in that as well. And uh, she asked me a lot of questions about it, and I said, hey, let's just call the gun guy see what he has to say about that. So, well, I, I, I appreciate that. The, um, the, when you talk about liability, most people um, around firearms, they're talking about if they use their firearm um, and if they were to get sued um, for defending themselves. For instance, um, I've defended multiple lawsuits now over the years, and I've talked about several of them here on the Gun Guy Show, where... Um, someone has lawfully used force, including deadly force, to defend themselves or defend a third person and uh, and st got sued for it, where the, the bad guy or the family of the dead bad guy turned around and sued the law-abiding citizen who was merely defending themselves or defending someone else from a violent crime. I've talked about the case of uh, Kisty Phillips, who's become a good friend of mine. And, you know, she saved the life of a police officer down in, in southeastern Indiana, uh, down in Rising Sun, Indiana, and uh, a police officer was being attacked by a, a guy high on several different drugs, including meth. A police officer had pulled this guy over right in front of Kisty's house. 
And bad guy gets out. He's high. He he's screaming and yelling, you know, incoherently at the officer. Officer tells him to get back in the car. He doesn't. Officer tells him to stop and put his hands on the car. He doesn't. Guy walks right up in a taxi. Officer plants him. Now they're fighting over the officer's gun. And and Kisty seeing this unfold. And by the way, small town Indiana, the officer's son, who knew Kisty's daughter, is at Kisty's house. Watching all this happen as his dad's being attacked by some drug-crazed lunatic in Kisty's front yard. They're wrestling over the officer's gun. The officer is losing that fight and is mere moments away from being shot with his own firearm. Kisty grabbed her gun, ran out there, screaming for the bad guy to get off the cop, which he, of course, did not do. Kisty shot the bad guy, ended up killing him, completely justified, completely lawful, saved the police officer's life. Police officer told me later. That uh, that when he heard the shot, he thought it was him dying and only realized after a few seconds that it was Kisty saving his life. But my point is, the family of the dead bad guy then turned around and sued Kisty. And, and that really motivated me to actually write our new self-defense immunity law. And, uh, and now we have the strongest self-defense immunity law in the country. Thanks to people like uh, Jim Lucas, who introduced that in the General Assembly, and people like Ben Smaltz and Jerry Tor and Peggy Mayfield and, and many others who fought for it uh, in the General Assembly. We have the, the, the best law in the country. However, if you get sued, the, you know, the law provides for an early dismissal and can get you reimbursed for your fees. But in the meantime, you have to worry about potentially legal fees in the interim. And wouldn't it be nice to have insurance? In addition, what if you lawfully defend yourself and some rogue prosecutor decides to prosecute you for a crime even though you believe you were justified? So now you have cost of defense in a criminal case. That's why a lot of us have what a lot of us call carry insurance, Bob, and, and I think this is what your daughter's talking about. And there are several plans out there. I, I personally have U.S. Concealed Carry Association, USCCA Carry Insurance. Now, full disclosure, just over the last two years, I think, USCCA has hired me to teach some of their self-defense seminars. And they pay me a little bit of money. <laughs> Not very much, I can tell you. They pay me a little bit of money to teach those seminars. So there's a commercial relationship there, so take that into, a, uh, into account. But... I, I got their insurance in 2012, long before they ever hired me to start teaching this, these seminars. I think it's generally thought that USCCA and US Law Shield are the, are, the, are the top plans out there, but there are several others. For instance, I'm in the network of attorneys, um, not only for USCCA, uh, but also for something called the Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network. And, uh, and there's another one called Second Call, uh, or Second Call Defense, maybe. And anyway, so there are several programs out there, and there are also some good articles written that compare the different plans in terms of level of coverage and cost, what's covered, what's not. But I did a deep, I did a deep drill back in 2012 when I decided to buy USCCA, and, and that's what I went with. But again, anybody listening, I need to disclose that there is a relationship there now just the last couple of years because they have me teach some of their self-defense seminars. I hope it answers your questions, Bob. Um, let's go back to the phone lines, and Earl is called. Earl, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Hey, Guy. Um, quick question. Shotgun transfer between Kentucky and Indiana, between two personal individuals. Any special precautions that need to be taken? No shipping involved. Uh, yeah, well, it, yeah, because it's actually illegal, Earl, to sell a gun to a citizen of a different state. Um, so if, if, if you're not a Kentucky resident, um, it would be illegal for a Kentucky resident to, to sell a gun to you. Um, there are some exceptions between some states for long guns, um, but I'd want to look at that specifically and make sure that that applies uh, for us in Kentucky. I don't know that it does. So if it were me, um, I would have them ship it to an FFL in Indiana, uh, and then you go pick it up at the FFL, and they, they have you fill out the 4473, and you do the background check. Um, that way you know you're 100% legal. If he sends it through an FFL and you don't have to worry about getting tagged off base. I, again, you know, ATF is looking for excuses uh, to arrest people and hassle people, and you don't want any of that. So I, if it were me, I'd be extra safe and do it through. When I say FFL, I mean a gun store, you know, a federal firearms licensee. Uh, go back to the phone, line, phone lines. We got Chris. Chris, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. 
Uh, hi, how, how you doing, guys? Good, man. You doing all right? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I was just uh, had a question. Uh, I'm 57 years old. I grew up in Indianapolis, and and uh, it seems like if you if you're a prosecutor in Indianapolis, you, you kind of all of a sudden automatically become mayor. And I was just wondering, uh, you know, I was just wondering if there's any way you could maybe step in front of him and, and run and, and run for mayor. Oh, because run for, last for I heard, mayor of Indianapolis? Oh, well, bless yeah. your heart. Uh, last, I, last I heard... Uh, uh, Mears was going to maybe run for mayor. I mean, yeah, uh, th- that, that, that is exactly the speculation, Chris, is that uh, one of the reasons Ryan Mears is all these liberal policies as a prosecutor, you know, where he, he spent, seems to spend more time talking about the crimes he's not going to prosecute anybody for um, than the ones he does. And yeah, a lot of people think that he's so pandering to the liberal liberal voters in Marion County, it's pretty clear he wants to run for mayor. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Now, Hogsett, he wasn't um, a prosecutor at the state level. He was a U.S. attorney. So he, you know, and that's a federal prosecutor. So you're right. He was a prosecutor. Um, and before that, though, I mean, we had a lot of other people that came from different backgrounds. I don't live in Marion County. I live in Zionsville. I live in Boone County. Um, and if I were going to get involved in politics, I don't think mayor of Indianapolis, uh, even if I lived in Marion County, would would be what I'd run for. Um only because uh, dealing with the uh, Marion County uh, City County Council would drive me completely bonkers. Uh, so if I were ever were ever to run for office, I think it would probably be for Congress um, or something at the federal level. But but I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm getting a little old to even be considering that. Uh, my wife tries to push me toward that every now and then. I don't know. I don't know that I have the patience, man. With the, all the uh, interaction with media and. Uh, and whatnot, uh, I don't know. Uh, in, in all likelihood, I, at some point, I would I would lose patience at some inopportune time and completely embarrass myself <laughs> as a candidate for political office because of uh, a very short uh, uh, a very f- short fuse I can have sometime with what I consider to be uh, uh, an idiotic media base out there. But I, but I do appreciate that question. I'll tell you what, the quarter hour we're taking a break. We come back. I'm going to finally. I've been teasing this all show. Get into some uh, fact versus fiction. A little bit of myth busting and uh, try to correct some things that I hear repeatedly about Indiana gun laws. But again, we've had fabulous callers throughout the show, so we want to continue that as well. So give us a call 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We're glad you're with us. And um, we're going to get into a little bit of myth busting here because there are some things that I see out on the internet, or or I have people, you know, say to me, or you know, kind of regurgitate when they when they call my office um, on a legal issue they're facing, and, and I wanted to get into this a little bit. And the number one I hear, and I see people go out on the internet and state this as an absolute fact. Yeah, but you're calling. And they'll say, "Well, in Indiana, if you have a nonviolent felony, you can possess a gun." And they will say this to me with absolute certainty, and I see it repeated on the internet all the time, different gun-related forums or Facebook pages, whatever it might be, and people are on there saying, well, you have a nonviolent felony, like, again, your second OWI within five years, or an old drug-related conviction that may have been a felony um, when it happened, uh, but obviously nonviolent. And... And, and listen, here's exactly the way the law on this works. And, and if you're a gun owner, this is something you've probably seen out there. You've probably heard people say it with complete certainty. Oh, yeah, you can own a gun with a nonviolent felony. No, you can't. And here's why. It is true that Indiana, under Indiana state law, distinguishes between serious violent felons and other types of felons. And under Indiana state law... Yes, we prohibit some people with misdemeanors, such as people with convictions for domestic battery or, more broadly, a crime of domestic violence. And I'll, I'll talk about that here in a minute because there's another complete misunderstanding among a lot of people on this point, including a lot of lawyers, by the way. Then, then in addition, Indiana also says that if you're a serious violent felon, you can't possess a gun. 
And I think that's what leads people to say, aha, in Indiana, there's no law against a person with a nonviolent felony from possessing a gun. First of all, if it's simply nonviolent, even under Indiana law, don't don't be too confident that it, you're not a serious violent felon, even if you have, in your mind, a nonviolent felony. For instance, Indiana included a lot of drug offenses, like dealing in cocaine, dealing in meth. They included those crimes, even though there's no violence involved, on the list of crimes that if you get convicted of one of those crimes, it makes you a serious violent felon. Why? Because the legislature doesn't want drug dealers possessing guns. So they made you a serious violent felon uh, for getting that felony conviction for dealing cocaine. I had a gentleman call my office and uh, and talk about a, a 35-year-old conviction for dealing cocaine that made him just more recently realize he was told that he's a serious violent felon. And, and this is a guy who now was a, uh, is a member of the clergy, a wonderful guy, a credit to his community, got in a little trouble way back when, when he was still in school and was shocked to hear he's a serious violent felon. But even irrespective of that point, we also have a federal law that, yes, applies to us here in Indiana, that any level of felony, and here's how federal law defines a felony. This is how most states, including Indiana, define it as well. If the maximum penalty for a particular crime, not what you were sentenced to, what the maximum is for a particular crime. So let's say the maximum penalty for my second OWI within five years, the maximum penalty is 18 months. Just hypothetically. I don't handle OWIs. I think that's right. It, it may be more or less than that, but it's over a year. But let's say the maximum penalty for a particular crime is 18 months. Okay. Federal law says if you're convicted of a crime for which you could have been sentenced to over a year, doesn't matter what you were sentenced to. It's what you could have been sentenced to. You cannot possess a gun. So I could be sentenced to zero days in jail. Or I could be sentenced to 180 days in jail, but 178 days suspended with credit for time served, so I get no day, no days in jail other than the night I got arrested. Because the maximum penalty, even though I didn't spend any more time in jail, or let's say I spent zero time in jail, the fact that the maximum penalty for that particular crime is over a year means I can't possess a gun. I'm guilty of a felony, as defined by federal and state law. And under federal law, I cannot possess a gun anywhere, any place, anytime, under any circumstance. I can't possess a gun in my home. I can't have one in my car. Yes, yes, that is a federal law, but it still applies us to, to us here in Indiana. Now, I've had some knuckleheads out on the Internet say, well, there, there are nearly as many FBI agents or ATF agents running around as there are local law enforcement, and local law enforcement doesn't care about enforcing federal law. So even though I may be violating a federal law by possessing a gun with a nonviolent felony, I don't have to worry about it because I'll never get caught. Or if I get caught, it'll be by law and law, local law enforcement, and they'll just turn me loose. Dude, you're looking at 10 years in federal prison, and you're making a lot of assumptions. And let me tell you about cases that I have handled federal cases, where people got pulled over or got arrested on a state charge, yes, they have a low-level felony conviction, that local cop will go back to their buddies on the Gun Crimes Task Force, which also has ATF agents on it, and say, hey, I just pulled this guy over, or I arrested this guy, and he was found with a gun, he's got a felony conviction, do you want him? Meaning, do you want to come arrest him and prosecute him under federal law, now it's going to be a U.S. attorney or an assistant U.S. attorney. Those are the federal prosecutors who are going to make the decision on filing charges. But the federal charges are nothing to mess around with. You're talking about 10 years in federal prison. So, no, if you have a low-level felony, if you have any felony, you cannot possess a gun in Indiana under federal law. And some, quote-unquote, nonviolent felonies are still what we call serious violent felons, felonies here in Indiana or make you a serious violent felon because the legislature included some nonviolent crimes within Indiana's definition of serious violent felonies. So, But in the meantime, 
any level felony prohibits you from possessing a firearm. Now, the good news is a lot of felonies, and particularly low-level felonies, you can have expunged. And yes, an Indiana expungement restores your gun rights. I do those all the time. I love doing them because I love seeing the person's face or hearing their voice. When I tell them, your rights have been fully restored. You are fully legal now to go into a gun store and buy a gun. I love doing that. Now, some crimes, you can get it expunged off your record, but it doesn't restore your rights. Notably, a conviction for a crime of domestic violence. But the good news is there's a separate restoration process. There's a separate restoration process for even convictions for crimes of domestic violence. So you have a misdemeanor domestic battery. An expungement doesn't restore your rights, but there's a separate restoration process under the same law that says a conviction for a crime of domestic violence means you can't possess a gun. It says unless it's been restored, and then it spells out the process for restoring your rights. So even those we can fix. I I had a gentleman hire me to do that today. We're going to do both an expungement and a restoration for a crime of domestic violence. Something that happened 35 years ago, he's still married to the woman who was the quote-unquote victim of the crime of domestic violence. And she fully supports him getting his gun rights back. We 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 have a very, very high likelihood of getting those rights back because the victim of the crime supports it. So you can so there's a lot going on there. But in the meantime, no. If you hear somebody out there on the internet or otherwise, oh, if you have a nonviolent felony, you can possess a gun in Indiana. No, you can't. You're risking 10 years in federal prison. And you may, depending on the crime, like say, oh, dealing meth, dealing cocaine, still be in Indiana a serious violent felon. So there's a lot more to it. And that's one where the 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 Conventional wisdom, quote unquote, I'm putting big air quotes around conventional and wisdom, can get people put in prison. So at the bottom of the air, we've got several people who have called in, so we'll go to the phone lines and we'll continue myth busting here for the rest of the show today. So uh, Jay, Annie, Leah, um, and uh, anybody else who calls in, uh, be patient because we'll come right to the phone lines when we come back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. I tell you, we got a bunch of people on hold. Let's go right to the phone lines. And I think I mispronounced this name. I said Leah before, and I think it's just Lee, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay, sorry about that. But um, you had a question. Yes. um, My question is, my daughter has a lifetime personal protection permit in Indiana as an Indiana resident. She uh-huh. is getting ready to move to Ohio, but we'll be going back and forth every couple of weeks. Does she need to get, or at what point would she need to get an Ohio resident uh, personal gun permit? Um, you know, Lee, that's a that's a question of Ohio law, not Indiana law, and I, I don't ever want to express uh, opinions on Ohio law. She really should be talking to um, the gun guy in Ohio. <laughs> but 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 well, isn't there one in Ohio? <laughs> yeah, but uh, assuming there is one, but but I got to tell you, Ohio um, just passed constitutional carry. And I don't believe they have gun registration in Ohio. So big, big caveat, big asterisk. Uh, I'm not an Ohio lawyer and I'm not an authority on Ohio law. So I don't think there's any need to do either of those things. But um, because, uh, you know, there could be serious ramifications if I'm wrong, she should uh, check with uh, someone with more knowledge of Ohio's laws um, than I do. Let's go back to the phone lines. And Annie is called. Annie, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Hi, Guy. I'm enjoying your show tonight. Thank you so much. Um, I would like to urge your listeners, if they haven't seen it or if they haven't seen it recently, to uh, rent the movie. You can sometimes get it free on YouTube. Red Dawn with Patrick (laughs) Swayze that came out in 1984. I grew up in Houston, Texas with uh, Patrick, his sister Vicky was my best friend, and I went to their mom's dancing school and Catholic school. And he was really a sweet kid even then. Uh, but the movie opens, the first 10 minutes at least, it opens with the South American communists parachuting onto the local yeah. uh, town's football field after shooting all of the teachers. The commander sends his men to the local sporting goods gun shop and told them to pull the pink slips 
go to all those addresses and confiscate all the town's guns. <laughs> That's right. So now that the BATF is looking for excuses to get your address, it's not only telling to me, it's just kind of scary. Uh, I think that's a great point, Annie. And by the way, um, I love uh, the Red Dawn movie. There are so many uh, classic moments in that. It is a great uh, a great movie in terms of the value and meaning and really uh, motivation of our founders in creating a Second Amendment. Uh, but yeah, it's where America is invaded and a bunch of high school kids run off and uh, uh, are up in the mountains, and they uh, they start launching counterattacks, and it's all it's all very uh, well acted, I think, uh, and uh, and and it's just an all around great movie um, uh, with some ups and downs, and and but I, I couldn't agree more, and and one of the reasons, for instance, that I will never support. Uh, the, the requirement for a background check and documentation as between private uh, individuals who are buying and selling guns. I, you know, that's a big push for that. My senator, unfortunately, my senator is uh, J.D. Ford, a Democrat, uh, where I live in Zionsville. And uh, he was just on social media here late last week saying he's pushing for a requirement for documentation and, and background checks as between private individuals. And you know what? A lot of us, would much prefer that uh, that the government not know that we uh, own guns or or what exact guns we own. Now, I have several guns I've bought from gun stores. I have guns that are registered with the AT- ATF under uh, the NFA, the National Firearms Act, because they're uh, short-barreled rifles or short-barreled uh, shotguns or suppressors or whatnot. So, hey, those are all registered. But uh, I, I like the idea of not uh, of the government not knowing exactly what I own, and it's not because I think that a foreign government's going to you know paratroop uh, you know bad guys into Zionsville anytime soon. Um, it's because I don't trust the government, and you know who else doesn't trust the government in terms of keeping lists and databases of gun owners? Congress, because Congress in 1986, as part of the Firearm Owners Protection Act in 1986, actually made it illegal for the federal government to keep a database of guns or gun owners other than the NFA data list, uh, database. And oh, by the way, the fact that a, that FBI, as we've talked about here on the show, is now demanding the addresses of anybody even delayed uh, or denied, whether it's a wrongful denial, a wrongful delay, or, or whatnot, uh, but they're demanding that now from gun owners. D- could that mean that the FBI now is actually violating the Firearm Owners Protection Act and keeping those da- those addresses as part of a database. I think that's worth some investigation. But in the meantime, Annie, thanks so much for uh, the call. Let's go back to the phone lines, and Jay has called. Jay, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Guy, how you doing? Good, brother. Uh, thanks for calling. Good. Hey, before anything else, I just want to say I appreciate the work that you do, not just with this show, but across a lot of different fronts. Well, thank you, man. Hey, um, put, uh, kind of a multi-point question you can address it however you see fit but i wonder if you could speak to the rules in indiana as they pertain to carrying on or near schools um or churches with daycares or schools or if i'm in an area where uh, there may be a roving school like a field trip or something like that and i'm either chaperoning or i just happen to be in the area when a field trip comes through um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a great question. And we've changed that statute, Jay, quite a bit over the years. Um, generally speaking, you can't possess a gun on school property, period, end of story. However, I actually wrote a bill, worked with Jim Lucas, to change that substantially here a few years ago, where now you can leave a gun in your vehicle on school property as long as the vehicle is locked and the gun stored out of sight. In addition, while you're in your vehicle, you can possess a gun on school property in your vehicle. If you get out of your vehicle, the gun has to stay uh, out of sight, stored out of sight, locked in your vehicle. And I've had some people say, oh, well, I just get out and walk around and put my gun in the trunk and then lock the car. And I'm like, no, well, that, that's all good except for the 20 seconds it took you to be outside of the, the car and walking around to your trunk. While you're, if you possess a gun during that you know, 20 or 30 seconds, you're committing a felony. Um, Separately, if you're authorized uh, by the school to possess a gun on school property, there's an exception. There's an exception for law enforcement officers. Um, Places of worship you mentioned, and and now, as of 2019, and I worked with Jim Lucas and uh, uh, Ben Smaltz from Auburn actually wrote the bill, Um, other legislators um, in the the past uh, have introduced similar bills, Um, but now you can attend a worship service 
or a religious ceremony in a house of worship that's located on school property if you otherwise legally possess that gun. So you can possess a gun while you go to church, even if there's a school in the same building or a licensed daycare in the same building or if it's on the same property with a school. Until 2019, that was illegal. Until until 2019, if there was a school on the same grounds as a church or in the same building and you carried a gun in church, you were committing a felony because that's all school property if it's co-owned or on the same property with a school. Um, We changed that in 2019. I fought like hell for that, as did Ben Smaltz, Jim Lucas, again, Jerry Torr, Peggy Mayfield, um, Senator Freeman. uh, Aaron Freeman was fabulous. Um, But a lot of people worked really hard uh, on on that bill, and we worked for for that for, for several years. And we finally got it done in 2019. Um, so the, the rules on churches have dramatically changed. So, Jay, I think I asked all parts of your question. Well, one thing we took out of the school property bill a few years ago is it, all, it used to include school property, school buses, and it also included property being used by a school for a school function. Property being used by a school for a school function. And we said, hold on. If I if I go to a hotel and I'm staying at a hotel and a high school happens to be happy ha- happens to be having its prom in that same hotel in the ballroom, uh, that that's now property being used by a school for a school function. So I'm committing a felony. Or if I'm in a restaurant and a bunch of school buses pull up and it's a bunch of kids coming in, you know, as part of a field trip on their way back from the art museum, and they stop at the same restaurant, is that now property being used by a school for a school function? So I'm committing a felony. That's crazy. So we had that taken out of the statute here, I would say, probably five years ago. So that's kind of a quick summary. There's more ins and outs to school property, and there's a federal law as well. You want to know more about that? I would highly suggest my Essentials of Indiana Gun Law class that uh, that I have one coming up on November 5th. In the meantime, I've blown past the three-quarter hour here a little bit. Uh, when we come back, I'll tell you what, I see that Lance Huffman, the gentleman who's had his home shot into a number of times, has now called into the show. Um, that was unplanned, um, but I, I started the show talking about how horrible that situation is. And so we come back, we'll have Lance Huffman and uh, get his perspectives on what's going on there in Irvington. Right now we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back here for our last segment. And uh, by the way, before we go back to the phone, uh, you heard that a night with WIBC coming up uh, on the 27th, which is next Thursday. It's now sold out. Um, but uh, I believe there's a contest going on for some remaining tickets that you can still uh, find. Go to WIBC.com, click on contest. When it says, uh, you know, and special guests, talking about who's going to be there, yes, I am one of those quote-unquote special guests, and so I'll be participating in that program on stage. Looking forward to that. But in the meantime, importantly, I believe we have Lance Huffman. I was talking about this horrendous situation in Irvington where a family's had their home shot into five different times. And, uh, Mr. Huffman, I, I believe that's you, is it not? That's me. Uh, and, you know, I, we were on break right after I talked about that, sir, and, and, and producer Carl looked at me and said, what's going on? Is this guy a drug dealer? Why, 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 are, why are people shooting into his house? And I don't get that impression at all. This seems to me like you're an innocent uh, uh, family who's simply being terrorized. Yeah, we have like, I mean, I'm I'm as, I'm pretty much clean as they come. Sewer <laughs> worker. I kind of play with old old cars, and uh, you know, three little girls. I we foster kittens from ICS. Oh. We uh we we we're pretty uh. I mean, I wouldn't say we're boring, but but we definitely don't get into anything too exciting. You know. Yeah, understood. Well, well, first of all, what's your theory? I mean, is this some just lunatic who doesn't even know you? But it's, it clearly seems like you're being targeted. No, I oh, mean, yeah, no pun intended. You've been you've been isolated. You've been you've been individually picked out to be terrorized. Do you have any theories? Absolutely. Um, well, this guy was uh, at some point dated my sister about. I think he dated my sister. Had some kind of relationship with my sister about like. So hold on. You know who this is. Kind of. It's been, you know, almost 20 years since I've seen him. Is that based on the car? Because you've got some video of the vehicle, no, because right? We, yeah, we know who he is. He's been captured. He's oh, been arrested. Oh, I see. I did not know that. That was not in the article that I was referring to. So he's now in jail. Yeah, he's in jail. Oh, I'm so glad you called. I had because the Fox 59 article I was reading from made it sound like police still had not even identified this guy and they were asking for tips from the community. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they were doing that forever, but we've known who this guy is for a long time. The idiot sent uh, me and my wife a Facebook message, like a cryptic message. He wrote like something about uh, me, like um, hacking teenagers' cell phones. Uh, his whole his whole like uh, social media is just full of like uh, like uh, conspiracies and radiation coming out of cell phones and mind control. Oh, wow. I mean, it's, it's an absolute yeah. You so did see he, the guy? So did he feel like you broke up his relationship with your daughter? No, my sister. My your sister. My, I'm my sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. So he dated yeah. your sister. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. So yeah, and and like did, twenty did he, years ago. Twenty years ago, did he, did he blame you for that falling apart? I mean, why is I this guy mad so. at you? I, I never talked to him. I was all. I was like, I was like in high school, you know. And he was You're like, young. yeah, my younger sister, and and I just kind of had nothing to do with him because uh, I didn't care, you know. He wasn't a, I don't know, just no interest in me, you know. I, uh, Unbelievable. Like I, said, I was kind of into old cars, and he was into poetry, I think. Well, listen, I, like unfortunately, we've only got a few seconds left. I, I hope you felt like you got the support from law enforcement and now the prosecutor's office that you deserved in this. But in the meantime, thank God this guy's been caught, caught, and thanks so much for calling in. Unfortunately, that's the end of the Gun Guy Show. We need to leave it there. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC.